All right. Well, welcome back to the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner. I will be taking you through today's episode. And I'm so freaking excited about our content today and the guests we have. And I'm super passionate about the topic. So cannot wait to get into this. But first, I'm going to do my usual plug. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, click that little subscribe button, and you will get notifications about the new content that we're releasing about every two weeks. Tell your friends, tell your family. This podcast is absolutely amazing, and everyone you know should be listening to it. That is my shameless plug. Now let's get into it. June is Gay Pride Month, and I cannot think of a better way to celebrate and bringing some amazing Meraki employees onto our episode today. We'll be chatting with Daniel Jones, Kate Nicholson, and Emily Sproul, who are all a part of Meraki's employee resource group called QFAM. And for those of you out there wondering, what does that stand for? It stands for Queer and Friends at Meraki. So we'll be discussing an array of topics today. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into QFAM. What is it? How does this employee resource group work at Meraki? And we're also going to discuss the progress of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, also known as LGBTQ plus efforts, and take a moment also to look at the darker moments, right, and the struggles against discrimination. So we're going to cover it all. I am telling you right now, this conversation is impactful, it's powerful, and it is so important that we are having these discussions. So as I transition Daniel, Emily, Kate, welcome to the podcast. How are you guys? Sammy, we're so excited to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, speak with you and talk a little bit about QFAM. All right. I love it. And I just want to say, before we dive into the content of today's episode, huge thank you to each one of you for leaning into that Meraki value of being brave, for sharing your story. It is not easy. And I just want to express my gratitude and appreciation for each of you. So thank you so much. Um, let, let's get into it. So first, I'd like each of you to give me a brief introduction. So tell us a bit about you, your journey, and why you decided to join QFAM. Emily, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, my name's Emily. I, I joined Meraki right before the Cisco acquisition and have been doing lots of cool things on the marketing side. Uh, and for me, I began my queer reckoning in college. I would say growing up, I had always been a tomboy. I think I had a, there's a family friend who once told me that I had always been, and I quote, rugged, uh, which I thought was really a cute and fun way of describing my rough and tumble self. But I had always assumed I hadn't fallen for the right guy yet. Uh, but in high school, I fell really hard for an upperclassman, and I had no idea how to deal with it, how to process it or act on it or what it was. And when I got to college, I was surrounded by a inclusive and wonderful group of friends, and there was a LGBT resource center on campus. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> I went, I, I didn't even know, you know, like they had all the little buttons that you could wear for, you know, being a lesbian or being ally or being queer. And I, I had no idea what I was. So I picked all the buttons and put all the buttons on my bag uh, and, and walked around like that for a while until I sorted things out. And, um, you know, I had somebody who actually tapped me on the shoulder once and looked at my bag and said, I'm confused. And I said, me too. So, you know, it has been a journey. I think it, it took a couple of years for me to feel comfortable with myself and, and to come out. But 
I'm so glad I did. And, and, uh, and now I'm here and, um, you know, QFAM for me was a natural extension and we can talk a little bit more about that, but I'll, I'll let the others introduce themselves. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Daniel, I'll toss it over to you. Thank you very much, Sammy. It's great to be here. Uh, hello to all that are listening. Uh, my name is Daniel. I am with Meraki. I've been here for about two years now and I'm in the San Francisco location, of course. Uh, as far as my career journey goes, I mean, that started a long time ago when I was in college, and I just made a decision at that point, starting my new freshman year, that I literally just wanted to be my most authentic self and live for me. And so I came out in college, and I, I honestly, I never looked back. You know, I came out to everyone. I just owned who I was. I didn't care what the world thought of me. I just wanted to live my life and be happy. And you know, that was really the, the starting point of a really awesome journey of myself, really, my own self-discovery and, and confidence as well. And so, you know, that really brought me to San Francisco and as a visual designer, which I'm really, that is really my forte. I kind of ended up in Meraki um, in a very interesting way. Being in Meraki has really been, it's been really exceptional. It's been a very exceptional experience in that, you know, I'm in this, a tech company but it's more than just a tech company. It's a really solid community here. And uh, even discovering and being a part of QFAM has really been, it's been a blessing, you know, just to find my own people and, and help others find their own, their own light as well. But yeah, it's been really awesome here and uh, I'm glad to be here. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Daniel. And Kate, last but certainly not least. Yeah, hey, Sammy, thanks so much for having us on the podcast. Um, so my name's Kate Nicholson. Uh, I've been with Meraki uh, almost six years, and uh, I love the the rough and tumble term that Emily used. That's pretty similar to my childhood as well. Uh, I was always an athlete and always kind of questioned, uh, you know, my sexuality and, and that part of myself. And I thought that to be an athlete and to be gay, you had to be one you know, specific type of way. And that just didn't feel like me. Fought it for a long time, uh, dated a lot of wonderful men, but none of them ever, you know, you know, got me excited. And it just didn't feel like that's how people are supposed to feel. Uh, so after I graduated the University of Texas, uh, lived in Austin for a while and kind of just realized that I wanted to put myself out of the situation and the community that I'd been in there. I had wonderful friends. I loved my life, but I just felt like I needed a change to like find that piece of myself that I hadn't been able to identify with yet. So packed up my life, uh, moved out to California, uh, moved to San Francisco. And the first day I had my interview at Meraki for the sales team, I just saw rainbow flags everywhere. And I thought, this is a place of love and this is a place of acceptance. And that was at the same time that I was going on this journey of love and acceptance you know, for myself. And so came out and it's been a beautiful life ever since. Proudly, you know, out lesbian. You know, the reason I joined QFAM is, you know, that day at Meraki for my first interview, like seeing that rainbow flag and like feeling like I could be my whole self at work. I mean, it was super powerful. So, you know, just wanted to continue that and help build that for anyone else joining Meraki. Ah, uh, I have chills. That's so beautiful. And yes, Meraki is a place of love and acceptance. And we talk about diversity and inclusion and that part about inclusion being I can show up at work and be my whole self, my whole authentic self is so incredibly important. So thank you for saying that and calling that out. Um, I wanna ask, so Emily, I'll toss this one over to you. Tell us a little bit about how this ERO, this employee resource group at Meraki started, right? Uh, what was the birth of QFAM? How long has it been around? And talk to us a little bit about the mission and the goal behind it. 
Sure. So I actually uh, was not part of the, the founding group of QFAM, but I did find somebody uh, still at Meraki who, who is, and they gave me the, uh, the, the origin story, if you will. So QFAM, believe it or not, was basically birthed from our engineering department. There was a small group of queer-identified people, uh, as well as allies, who decided, and this was in June of 2015, mind you, uh, and I have it on good authority that in June 2015, in the Little Star conference room of our San Francisco office, QFAM was born, and it was inspired by the engineering team's first notes day. Um, and this was something that was inspired by leadership at Pixar. I think somebody from there named Ed Catmull had written a book about creativity. And what it was was basically uh, the, the leadership of the Meraki engineering teams uh, decided to let the engineers identify problems and solutions and basically uh, ideas would succeed because other people on the team bought in, not because managers decided that was the way to go or approved it. And one of the things that came out of that was to create QFAM, which I think is really awesome. Um, so we've always had kind of a deep and strong engineering presence. And the mission of QFAM, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at it now, it's empowering Meraki LGBTQ and allies to bring their whole selves to work by fostering awareness, involvement, and community while enhancing company culture through education and respectful dialogue. Uh, so we've been around for, <laughs> I guess, six years now, almost six years, and, uh, and have done a lot of wonderful, cool events and things. Ah, that's so neat. I had no idea that it was birthed from the engineering department. Mm -hmm. How cool. Mm -hmm. Learn something new every day. Okay, amazing. So that kind of takes us into my next question. Uh, you brought up um, events and, and Kate, I'll, I'll let you start with this one. Talk to us about some of the events that you have hosted um, in QFAM. Is there a particular speaker or guest that you've had come that really stands out to you? Yeah, totally. So um, most recently, we had an amazing guest. Her name's Danielle Feinberg, and she's the uh, the lights director um, at Pixar. So not only is she just like a super brilliant, like epic nerd around, you know, animation and lights and graphics, you know, working at Pixar, she has so much energy. So just hearing someone who's that smart and that invested in what they do from a professional level and be so excited. Um, she was just so amazing. And, you know, as a, a queer woman in an industry that's predominantly, you know, male driven, um, just to hear her story and how she, you know, advocated for herself in her own way while talking about all of our favorite Pixar movies. I mean, it was Ratatouille, it's Finding Nemo, it's um, The Incredibles, like all these movies that we have these deep emotional connections with to hear her talk about those and also talk about advocating for herself. Uh, it's just such a cool event. And, uh, and the other thing I think is cool is, you know, we have a lot of EROs at Meraki and I get a lot of questions from, you know, predominantly my straight white, uh, my teammates. And they're like, you know, I don't know if I should be attending these events or I don't know if I can identify with the, the topics or, you know, what they're talking about. And I'm like, this was a cool example of how, it was a topic that was inherently queer and in like her story, but it had that emotional connection for everyone because we've all seen those Pixar movies. We all know the stories they're telling. And so it's just really cool to see so many people come join and get really excited about it. Um, and it was just a, a really, really cool event. If you don't mind, I, I want to tack on there. They loved that event. 
there was also a really cool one that we did a couple years ago that we we threw open the doors of Meraki to any anyone in the Bay Area who wanted to come. And basically what it was was a private screening of a really cool documentary called The Campaign um, by uh, film director Christy Herring. And she was actually on site to do Q&A. And um, it was all about Prop 8 in California and sort of following the passage of, of that into law. And it was really interesting because part of QFAM's mission is also educating folks about some of the pivotal events that happen for the queer community. Um, and we got a lot of really great feedback about that from people who, who weren't even familiar with Prop 8. You know, they had just moved to California and didn't really know it had existed. So um, those are other types of, of events that we do. That is so neat. And I haven't seen that documentary and I just wrote it down it's called The Campaign. I need to watch that. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Daniel, anything you want to add here in terms of, of certain events or maybe things on the roadmap? Absolutely. And so um, mine isn't so much in that I hosted, but it was one that I participated in. And it was in 2019. It was my first year. I started uh, like a month, like a month before Pride. So there was already excitement building, but it was um, our Pride float and it was amazing. The event itself, you know, obviously was amazing, but even the buildup to it, watching the Moroccan teams come together to construct this, and they were working on it vigorously um, every day um, up until the point of um, the, the, flat, the float taking action. And uh, just seeing all the team united and just seeing everyone come out of the woodworks and the day of the event where the float was actually Going down the um, uh, the street, and just seeing all of all the Moroccans and the Cisco um, uh, staff and, and employees that were either queer or oriented or just allies come together for this moment, and it was also my first time partaking in the actual Pride um, parade itself. So my mind was blown. It was such a beautiful year, and I I literally still think about that from time to time, and I can feel that moment. So. Um, yeah, again, Emily, I couldn't thank you enough for, for creating that event. It really was impactful. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for the incredible rainbow decorations that you've <laughs> festooned our main staircase and stairwell with. Uh, so yeah, we, we get all gussied up for pride in the office. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I know that that's amazing. And as someone who's partaken in San Francisco pride many a year, there is nothing like it. It is magnetic. The energy is so incredible. There's so much love. And it's amazing that at Meraki, it's, we make a really big deal out of pride. Um, and I'm, it just, there's nothing better. Let's transition. Emily, I'll, I'll toss this off to you, but I'd love input if, if anyone else has more to add. What are some of the things that you're doing as a part of QFAM to ensure the success and the momentum of this employee resource group, especially now that we've gone virtual, right? I mean, to Daniel's point, when he joined in 2019 and the pride activities that were happening in the office and the festivities, now, you know, post in this post-COVID world and we're all virtual, what's the secret sauce to keep that engagement alive? Yeah, that's a good question because in a normal world, um, we would be doing a lot of community building events in person. Uh, you know, we often would go post work and, and have happy hours uh, with our with our group or in combination with um, some of the other uh, groups and departments within Cisco, like App Dynamics or Duo, um, which is which is fun, right? That's a fun way to build community, and it, it has been challenging. I think, 
but we have managed to push forward with some really fun virtual events, right? I think in the pandemic era, people people have had hard times and it's been a struggle. And sometimes you just want something fun to look forward to. And and we've done some really cool events like uh, Drag Bingo in partner with uh, Oasis SF, which was really fun, virtual happy hours, uh, where you kind of meet and greet people and people you know bring a show and tell item that they describe and talk about that helps you get to know them. Um, you know, we have built out a great leadership team of which Kate and Daniel are part. And I love all the fresh ideas that are coming forward for new events and different types of things. And, and often if there's an event where we can, uh, you know, send an item to people, uh, whether it's coffee or um, something else, you know, we'll do that too, just so people feel like, okay, they're a part of it. It's not just you're tuning into a virtual event. Um, you know, you're actually uh, taking a class and, and getting some material. So that I think that's helped as well. But definitely looking forward to life returning to normal and getting to hang out with, with all the friendly faces um, in person. Oh, I know. You and me both. I feel like we're starting to see it, right? There's that light uh, at the end of the tunnel, and maybe we'll be back in office, at least in some hybrid capacity in the in the coming months here. Kate, Daniel, anything to add in terms of engagement in, in the virtual world? Anything that stood out to you or surprised you maybe? Yeah, and I'll, I'll start there, Daniel. Um, one of the things that's been cool to see is that you know, even when we're in the office and together, it's still hard to get up and walk over to someone's desk sometimes and just do an intro and say, you know, how do I get involved and how do I be a better ally? And uh, I feel in a way being virtual has helped with that. I mean, we're all sitting at our computer screens um, together. So it's a lot less scary to send someone a, a ping on WebEx Teams and say, you know, hey, I'm new. How do I get involved? Or, you know, um, what's up with this event? Can I come? So, So I do feel there's while it's been tough, obviously not being with people, not getting to see, you know, Daniel and Emily's beautiful faces, um, it's it uh, has you know broken down some barriers and made it a little bit easier to connect with people since we're all in this virtual world. That's a really good call out, Daniel. Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree with Kate. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking on that and also tying it into uh, QFAM as well. You know, the virtual world's been all wonky and weird. I I personally try to do my best to still remain positive, um, and I'm aware that of my presence while being in the virtual world and how it impacts other people. Um, and that kind of ties into QFAM as well. You know, what I what I personally like to bring to the table is the excitement and the confidence and that authenticity and self assurance that I told you about that I discovered earlier in life. You know, I really like to be a role model for people and even in these crucial times, show them that, you know, things are tough. We're still in it, though, and we can still keep our heads together and find positivity and strength within the circumstances, be it so they're a little messy. You know, we'll all come out of this together. And uh, if anything, you know, I have a, I have an extreme appreciation for uh, my colleagues and, and my peers. You know, I really miss a lot of people. And when we get back to the norm, um, it's going to be a glorious day whatever the norm is that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here, here. Yeah, here, here. I was just going to do a cheers to that. Daniel, I love it. And I can feel your positivity and that good energy, even from across the call here. So thank you for saying that and uh, keep being that positive force because we all need it during these times. Thank you. So I want to 
transition here and talk about an important topic. And Emily, maybe I'll let you start. And I'd love again for everyone to kind of chime in. I want to know if if any one of you has faced discrimination due to who you are. And if so, how have you dealt with it? Um, what advice do you have for listeners out there who might be going through something similar? Yeah, I it's I think this is a really important topic and I'm I'm glad you bring it up. You know, what what I would want to say about it is I, I think often, I mean not exclusively, but often it's it's rare, um, or at least in my personal anecdotal experience, it's rare for me to experience like cut and dry discrimination, right? Something at the level that you see in, uh, you know, like the anti-harassment training videos that, that everybody is um, required to take, right? Like you don't see people hanging signs, on, you know, in their storefront anymore asking people of color to use a back entrance, right? Um, I think what you end up facing are sort of these, you know, and what's more common, at least, are these smaller, more subtle behaviors and events that are harder in isolation to identify as discrimination, but that like cumulatively over time have just as detrimental an impact. Uh, And this could be anything from like pay disparities for equal work or, you know, women or people of color, uh, you know, being interrupted or, you know, someone having their ideas, the, the ideas of queer people perhaps being appropriated by others who end up receiving recognition for them, right? These things in isolation are hard to necessarily identify, um, but but again, can really be damaging. And so I think, you know, I think most people are good intentioned, right? And, and sometimes there's behavior that you're not even aware that you're engaging in. And one thing that you know, I've read I, the the Harvard Business Review did some great research into all of this, um, and and had a diversity and inclusion report a couple years ago, uh, and I'm forgetting the article name, but I, I think it was something like re-engineering or re-architecting uh, bias out of organizations might have been the the title of it. Um, but one of the things that the article was mentioning was, you know, changing people's behavior with an opt-in approach is really hard. And so what you want to do instead is find ways to ensure that even though we all have biases, we are ultimately doing the right things. And so if you're going to affect change, particularly vis-a-vis diversity and inclusion, you need to re-architect a system or at least remove the potential biases to infect decision-making in that system. So you want to be doing things like looking at your incentive structures, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at every point a decision is made and thinking about how do you remove bias? And that might be something as as easy as having blind resumes, um, enforcing structured interviews, tying bonuses or promotions or other rewards to diversity and inclusive outcomes. I think the article mentioned something about removing self-evaluations uh, because women are more likely to downplay their achievements, for example. So all of these are examples of ways that you could advocate within your own organization to kind of re-architect things. And and the advice that I would give is maybe try to find ways to ask for these, or at least realize that if you are aware of, you know, small and repetitive behaviors, you know, it's real, right? Like, um, and maybe maybe try to figure out who you can speak with in your organization uh, to figure out, you know, how, how to improve things. I don't know if, if anyone else has mm. any other 
things they want to add on to that or, or things to say. I, I could add on to the um, briefly for you. Um, as far as discrimination goes, I mean, I'm sure I faced discrimination. I honestly can't even like pinpoint a moment in my life. I probably just let it go. <laughs> but um, communication is key. I feel like if I've, if I've ever been perhaps in a questionably discriminative uh, uh, situation, it's hard to do, but one, try to assess the situation is important. So, you know, you know, you're making sure you're, you're valid in your feelings, but definitely if you're feeling away, speak up about it. You know, Emily made a good point. Sometimes people aren't even aware of what they're doing. Um, but if you communicate it to them, you don't have to be aggressive necessarily. Um, you can, you definitely are within your right to speak if you feel that you're being discriminated against or if you're being wronged. I think in any, in any scenario, uh, communication is always key. And there will never be progress made if people don't communicate uh, and effectively too, more importantly. Right. Thank you for sharing that, um, Emily and Daniel. Incredibly thoughtful responses. Kate, any anything to add here? Yeah, I think one of the things that that's really seeing this past year is a lot of um, policies against you know the LGBTQ plus community and and especially our trans community. So I think being educated uh, on what's going on in, in your state and local governments and like being an ally with how you vote is hugely important. So I think just, you know, to the points that, that Emily and Daniel made earlier, like saying something and, and acting with your vote and with your words, like that's the way to, to help fight off that discrimination for the queer community, because it is such a vast community, right? Like we're every color, we're every political you know, side where where every nationality. So um, to be like a queer ally is to be like a true human ally. I love that call out. And I think, yeah, maybe a lot of people listening are like, I want to do more. How can I help? You know, Emily hit on it. You know, there are really small things that we can do. Um, there might be subtle behaviors that you see. Speak up, right? To Daniel's point, say something. You absolutely have the right to say something if something doesn't sit well with you, because oftentimes people might not even know they're saying something that could potentially offend you. Um, and to your point, Kate, how do I become more active in my community and how can my voice be heard? Show up, right? Vote. That human element of making a difference, even in your smaller community, right? It might be hard to do on a national level, but your local elections, right? City and county, uh, be present. That, that's a, a big way that we can help. So thank you for pointing that out. So as we transition here, uh, June is Pride Month. I love June in San Francisco. I don't think there's a better place in the world to be than in San Francisco in the month of June. And it was really important for us to highlight this ERO, to highlight QFAM on this episode today. So I want to know from each of you, and Emily, I'll start with you. Tell us, what does it mean for you to be a part of QFAM? And how does this particular employee resource group maybe differentiate from other groups you've been a part of? Why is this one so special? Oh, I mean, I just, I love QFAM. It's, it's uh, you know, I, I sort of call us the Q family. Um, it's full of wonderful people. I think we're doing good work. I think being part of an ERO, supporting an ERO, it's a form of courageous leadership um, you know, we're really trying hard to establish a community within Meraki and to enable people to bring their full authentic selves to work. And one of the, the reasons I continue to do this and spend the extra time to do it is I've had more than one person at Meraki come up to me in private and disclose that they were queer. 
and that they had never mentioned this to anyone else before, but they felt safe doing it within the Meraki community and to me because we had made a welcoming environment with QFAM. And having gone through my own long journey of, of sort of processing who I am and who I love, I think there's really no, there's no better compliment than that. I mean, it's such a rush. So that's, that's why I continue to do the work that I do. It's, it's a form of giving back for me. Ooh, powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And how special, and to your point, what a compliment that someone felt so safe in the community that you guys have created within the walls of Meraki that they were able to do that. That is, I don't, yeah, no, nothing better than that. Kate, what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you did mention that there's no better place to be than San Francisco during Pride, but as the, the Chicagoan on the call, I have to say Chicago also is a great place to be at Pride. So um, a little I background, I was, yeah, I was out of the San Francisco office and, and moved to Chicago when Meraki was opening up a Chicago office. And, you know, I, I told that story earlier of like seeing the, the pride flags and seeing that Meraki was a, a place where you could be your whole self and like a place full of love. And I so badly wanted to take that feeling that I had and that space, that safe space that we'd created back in San Francisco and, and bring that to Chicago. So, um, you know, when I moved out here, um, I made sure that I wanted to take those things that made it a beautiful and wonderful community and, you know, bring that into Chicago. So for me, it's just trying to, to give everyone that same, you know, warm hug of a feeling that I felt the first day I walked into, into Meraki. And, you know, you know, as I said, my story, I, I came out kind of later in life. And so that finding that piece of myself that I love so much now and I'm so proud of, you know, getting to celebrate that every day, not only at home and in my life, but at the place that I work and with my teammates who I spend so much time with, like it's, you know, selfishly super gratifying, but hopefully just spreading that love and, and building it out into our Chicago community and into the rest of our global Meraki community. So um, I love this group. It's so fun. Uh, Daniel and Emily are, are just a joy to work with. So yeah, I know I just blathered on a lot about why I like QFAM, but so many reasons. I love it so much. <laughs> we love you too. I love that. Yeah. I love you too. Yes. And Kate, I wanted to follow up and I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, you were one of the um, uh, employees that early on raised your hand and went and, and opened up, help us open up the Chicago office and building out the, the culture and the community in Chicago in itself was huge. And then you're right, kind of taking QFAM to Chicago. What was that like for you? And what were some of those? I mean, you kind of hit on it, but can you take us a little bit deeper into like, what did you really want to cultivate out there with QFAM that you love so much in San Francisco? Yeah, totally. I mean, San Francisco is kind of known as, you know, a queer friendly hub in the U.S. And and I know Chicago has that same kind of history, but we also have this totally different community within Chicago, within the Midwest. So, um, you know, to me, it was making sure that all of my peers, you know, we had 16 of us in the initial move. And it's also kind of mean they moved us in February. So if you've ever traveled from California to Chicago in February, would not recommend. Um, Ooh, but no. yeah, very mean. I'm still a little mad about that, but here we are. But, you know, to me, it was getting that team and that group of, of people that moved out here, you know, the Chicago pioneers involved and invested early, right? Like we had a lot of discussions as a group of like, how are we going to bring the culture and the community of San Francisco to Chicago? So that went from, you know, early in our first office, like truly celebrating pride. There's some great local bakeries around here that have uh, rainbow cakes that are beautiful. So it was a little thing, but we had, you know, a little pride party in our 
tiny little WeWork, uh, you know, the first couple months that we were here and just really making sure that that was a thing that we made a core tenant and a core thing that we were going to celebrate every year. And, uh, you know, we've done it ever since. We had a, a mini pride parade float. Uh, we had these little wagons that we had in the Chicago office pre-pandemic. And it was amazing. The entire office participated. We literally rolled these wagons around our whole slightly bigger, but, you know, still small office. So, you know, celebrating pride and celebrating diversity are truly like core tenants of the Chicago office. And it's been such a joy to see how much we've grown and how much, you know, we've expanded this community with the people that we've brought in from Chicago. It's just like a wonderful group of people to be with all the time. Oh, so special. Can I get one of those rainbow cakes sent to San Francisco? Now I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we accept deliveries, you know? <laughs> yeah. Goddess in the Baker. For anyone listening that's in the Chicago area, Goddess in the Baker. They make amazing pride cakes. Oh, I love it. Daniel, I, I want to make sure you're able to answer this. So tell us, what is what is being a part of QFAM mean to you? Oh, absolutely. I'm over here laughing about the cake. You got me hungry for cake right now. Um, QFAM is amazing. I will definitely confirm that. You know, what Kate mentioned earlier about first joining Meraki and seeing the presence of that pride flag and how it impacted her, I literally had the same feeling. I think that probably really swayed my decision to join the company as well. It was one of the really big factors I saw. Um, and what that flag really symbolized is you know, even more so than being a safe space for people that fall under that rainbow spectrum or more. Um, it represented that this company actually celebrated, you know, that community, really embraced them and put it out there unapologetically. And I thought that was amazing. So being part of QFAM allows me to be a, a figure, you know, and have visibility to people who, like men Emily mentioned before, you know, who may be secretly struggling or just not knowing how to be comfortable within the company. This, you know, my role really allows me to, to be a presence and hopefully influence people and encourage them to, again, just like be themselves, shine bright, live your life and celebrate your, you know, the beauty of your, of yourself. And it's really, it's been, it's been a blast. It's been an honor to be a part of QFAM, quite honestly. I hope really that we are um, impacting people and I'm looking forward to reaching out to more people within the company. Uh, absolutely. You are impacting people. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know about the three of you, but I just have the warm and fuzzies right now. I wish we could do like a, a virtual group hug. I'm feeling the good vibes and good energy. Totally. Uh, it is such, yes, right? Thank you. So we're going to end with, with a call to action. I'd love for, for all three of you to give me input here, but for our listeners today who are feeling super inspired by this conversation and they're asking themselves, how can we do better? How can I show up as a better ally? Um, how can I do even more for this community? Kate, I'll start with you. What words of wisdom do you have or what could you share with them? Yeah, totally. I think just like coming from a place of love and coming from a place of learning, right? Like there's so much going on with the queer community, you know, in the U.S. And I know I kind of mentioned the, the policies and the political piece of it earlier, but um, just wanting to learn and wanting to be educated and, you know, basing your decisions off of love and off of education. Like that's, that's really how you are a good ally because again, you know, the queer community, we are all encompassing, right? Like we are every other, you know, group that there is. So just coming from a place of wanting to learn more and wanting to, to support and wanting to be educated. Um, I think that's, if you do that, you can't go wrong, really. Yeah, absolutely. Emily, what about you? 
Yeah, I, I was I was thinking, like I said earlier, right? Being a part of the EROs, supporting the EROs is a form of courageous leadership. And I think being a real ally is as well, because justice can't happen without allies, right? You just, you can't get justice without it. And there was a really awesome TED Talk I saw recently by a woman named Nita Mosby-Tyler, who had a whole talk about being an unlikely ally. And what I loved about that talk was she said something that is so critical. Like if you're going to be a really good and impactful ally, you need to understand what your own privilege is. And you have to advocate for those who don't have what you have, right? So what, what happens in the back rooms and uh, in, in groups where you are privileged and maybe people who are disadvantaged or uh, in the minority aren't present, like those decisions, that are made there and those conversations that happen there are really important. And so it's all about standing up for people, even if they're not in the room. So, so important. Thank you for calling that out. Daniel, what about you? I think generally I apply this um, just to a lot of things in life. Um, I'd say, you know, as far as being involved or being an ally uh, in any sort of community, you really have to you know, it's it's your own responsibility to just find that curiosity to want to connect with people, to reach out to them, uh, to understand them, to ask the silly questions so you have clarity um, and you know what's going on. Uh, uh, you know, piggybacking on connecting with people, what I've really been practicing personally myself coming out of, you know, the pandemic with this new um, perspective is just taking the time to simply even say hello to someone or get to know them or go above and beyond, you know, um, in, a, in an effort to try to reach out to someone just to make an, a, a connection. It really costs nothing at the end of the day is what I've learned. You know, you can, you can really change someone's life by simply just making the effort to connect. So you're just a human ray of sunshine. You are, Daniel. <laughs> you're awesome. Actually, right? I, that is... <laughs> hundred percent right. I'm right. I'm taking down furious notes right now. And I'm, I just wrote kindness is free. Like that's the first thing that came to mind after, um, Daniel just said what he said. It doesn't cost anything to be kind, to get to know other people, to educate yourself. Emily, to your point, to be maybe an unlikely ally, um, really taking a step back and understanding what your privilege is and then deciding to show up for someone who needs you, which is absolutely an act of courageous leadership. And we don't need to hold a leadership title to be a leader, right? And, and stand up and speak up and do the right thing. So I have tons of notes and so many action items. I want to say a huge, huge thank you, Daniel, Emily, Kate, for being on the Meraki Unbox podcast today. Happy Pride Month. It is June. I am so excited. If you want to get more involved, Emily, I'll toss this one off to you. If anyone at Cisco or Meraki or outside of the organization is feeling inspired and wants to reach out and be, be a part of this, how can people find QFAM? Yep. Uh, there's a couple different ways. Uh, if you are VPN'd into the corporate network, you can go to mailer.cisco.com and search for QFAM. And click on the link and it will let you self-register for our mailing list. We also are on WebEx Spaces. Um, so we have a space there. And we just launched a really awesome intranet 
page full of activities and things. And of course, you can always reach out to any of us directly. Um, I think those, I don't know, Kate and Daniel, if I'm missing anything, but. Yay, please do. Absolutely. I, I want to be more involved. This conversation has completely inspired me today. So again, a huge thank you for joining the Meraki Unbox podcast today. If you haven't already done it, here's my last plug. Go ahead and subscribe. Click that like button. Anywhere you can download a podcast, you can find us. So Apple, Spotify, tell all your friends about how amazing uh, this podcast is. Uh, this is Sammy Brenner signing off for today, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.